global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, S&P 500 Index on track for another record as investors show confidence that corporate earnings will not derail a rally heading toward a fifth week. Right now, the S&P 500 Index is trading at 2174. It is higher by nine points, a gain of five-tenths of one percent, 2173, the old record set this past week on uh, Wednesday. Dow Industrials up 49 points, up uh, three-tenths of one percent. The 10-year down 3.30 seconds, the yield 1.56%. Gold down 7.20 the ounce right now, a drop of 5 tenths of 1% at 13.23. And crude oil down 1.4%, 44.14 for a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you, Charlie Pellet. It's time now for the ETF report. It's brought to you by National Realty, providers of 100% satisfaction guaranteed New York City Realty Investments. See them at NRIA. Let's go to Catherine Cowdery for our exchange-traded funds report. ETFs are on a streak. They've had 29 straight months of net inflows. That's according to preliminary data from the research firm ETFGI. Heather Fisher, vice president of the ETF platform at Charles Schwab, keeps track of where that money's going. Biggest news, I would say, is the shift between 2015 from international to 2016, where we see it being U.S. equity and U.S. fixed income. Fisher calls it a pretty dramatic shift. She takes a closer look at what areas have been attracting the most interest so far this year. We're seeing the vast majority of our year-to-date ETF flows go into U.S. equity and U.S. fixed income ETFs, uh, collectively about 73% of flows going into those two categories. Uh, balance going into commodities and international fixed income. Fisher says Schwab's ETF assets under management grew from $256 billion in December to $276 billion at the end of June. She adds ETF flows have been picking up over the past few months. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Stagflation. What is it? Many people have never really heard the term. Joe McAlinden has. He's the founder and the chairman of McAlinden Research Partners and also the Catalpa Capital Advisors. Joe McAlinden, thank you very much for joining me. Tell people what is stagflation, and um, um, it's going to have to involve you explaining how many years you've been in the investment business. I'm sorry. Yikes. (laughs) Well, you know, there aren't a whole lot of folks uh, in the business today who actually lived through the stagflation period. But back in the 60s, and they say if you remember the 60s, you weren't really there, but I was there. We started a process beginning with with, uh, unpopular wars coupled with uh, expansive social spending that led to deficits, and the central bank uh, monetized a lot of that, selling the seeds for a big surge in inflation and subpar growth during the uh, 1970s, which became really uh, bad uh, towards the end of that decade of the 70s. So the stagflation idea is that the economy is is, uh, stagnating, basically, with subpar growth, and inflation is uh, beginning to rear its head and perhaps on its way to much higher numbers than what the Fed would like. And that, uh, Pim, is what I think we're on the cusp of here. Um, a period, we've had subpar growth, 
but we've had also very low inflation. But as I uh, parse through the data uh, that that has been uh, coming out over the last six nine months. Uh, what I see is is a, uh, a big surge in inflation bubbling under the surface, which is going to uh, reach the headline level in the second half of the year and this coming winter. So I think we're going to be uh, in a stagflation period for sure, uh, with one caveat that the very short-term GDP data, I think like the second quarter, third quarter, um, are going to be on the stronger side. Um, but then the, I think the growth rates will recede back to that stubborn 2% it's been stuck at for, for, for several years now. Now, uh, the GDP report, that'll be out a week from today. Of course, we'll be bringing that to you live uh, on Bloomberg. Um, uh, Joe, a little bit more on inflation. What leads you to to the conclusion that we're going to see this move higher, an acceleration in the inflation rate? Well, when you look at the actual published numbers, uh, um, uh, and you you, uh, get granular and dive into the weeds, you find that the, for example, um, the core rate, which takes out food and energy, is already above 2%. Uh, and of course, the Fed's target is 2% inflation. The only reason the total inflation rate has been held down has been the weakness in oil prices and other commodity prices. What we know is they have already turned around. I mean, oil, although it's off from its highs, is up from $28 a barrel. So if you simply assume that oil goes sideways from here, the year-on-year comparisons for oil and other commodities are going to be uh, huge double-digit numbers, which will push up the uh, the existing uh, pressures we're seeing in services inflation and at the core level. When you look at the core level and you drill into the services part of that, which is three-quarters of what people spend their money on, It's already got a three-handle. In other words, it's above 3% and has been there for several months. So all I'm saying is that if oil simply stays where it is in dollar terms, um, you're going to see prints on inflation this coming winter that are just going to shock everyone um, and and raise fears of of a stagflation environment truly uh, coming back. Now, when you think about inflation or an acceleration of the inflation rate, is it important to, to recognize that things don't necessarily have to move in a gradual way? They can lurch from one percentage point increase to another one. In other words, it doesn't have to be a gradual increase. You can wake up and get a, a print on inflation that sends you scurrying for cover. That's what I think exactly is going to happen between the fall and the, and the spring, uh, fall of 2016 and the spring of 2017, because we, we, as I said, we've already had this move, this recovery move in oil, and not just oil. If you look at the Journal of Commerce Index, it's up very strongly. A broad range of uh, hard commodities have been, have been rising in price, and they'll probably continue to rise, but if they don't, if they just go sideways from here, and service inflation uh, at the core level continues to run in excess of 3% year-on-year, when you reach those, as I would say when you're talking about earnings, you, you, you would talk about easy comparisons, right? And, and uh, in a sense, the CPI is going to have easy comparisons uh, when you get into November, December, and January because that's when oil and other commodities made this huge uh, bottom. 
and so I think you're going to be looking at three to four percent prints on the on the CPI uh, by the winter of next year. All right. If that does indeed come to pass, what would you recommend to clients for people that have money? What should they do with that money, and either to benefit or to forestall any uh, catastrophe that might uh, might hit them? Yeah, well, Tim, one of the broader implications of what I've said and, and what I believe is that the broad market is probably going through a, a rolling over topping process. It's true that down the S&P, as, as you guys have been reporting, have made new highs, but the stock exchange index and the Russell and the rest of the world have, have not, uh, and I don't think they will. And, and uh, so uh, the first level of breaking down the market into where you put your money is you can divide the S&P and to value and growth, and there are sub-indexes for that, and there's ETFs people can play. And I think that after uh, seven or eight years of growth outperforming value, which has been the case within the S&P, what you're going to see in the next several years is value outperforming growth. And that transition is already underway if you look at the relative strength between those two things. And in terms of sectors, I mean, I would I would think within value, um, I like energy and basic materials um, and the industrial side of the economy in general. And I'd be less attracted to healthcare and and technology. We just spoke earlier today with Karen Ubelhart of Bloomberg Intelligence about the results from General Electric and Honeywell. Industrial companies are challenged by not being able to increase their sales around the world. Do you feel that those are the kinds of companies that deserve attention now? Well, the global companies will will uh, and and global global companies and companies American based that export a lot, I think will benefit actually from a continued rolling over of the dollar. Everyone keeps talking about how strong the dollar is, but the fact of the matter is. The dollar has uh, hit a peak towards the end of last year or depending on what index or measurement you use early this year, um, and it hasn't made much progress since. Now, it's perked up a little bit on the after the Brexit vote, but I think it's in the process of, of, uh, of going sideways to down. And that will actually, even with soft uh, unit sales around the world, um, that will boost the currency translation effect for these multinational companies, um, which includes growth companies as well as, as the more value-type industrials. But I think within the industrials, you're, you're also going to get up, um, an improvement in pricing power and a pickup in export uh, uh, sales. Thank you, Joe McElinden, founder, chairman, McElinden Research Partners, and Catalpa Capital Advisors. He's favoring energy, basic materials, and value stocks. This is Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox. Coming up, a close on Wall Street, and this is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.